0: Does that ever feel like your day? Yeah, a little bit like that. So for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at a new topic, a new series. We're calling it 24-6. And for the last two weeks, I've been doing this thing in my gym. It's uh, this workout of the week that you actually get to compare your scores with people all over the nation and world. that are doing the same thing. And each time they posted this workout, I have both times I've looked at it and I've said, well, that doesn't look too bad. That was you know, pretty easy. to get through that. And both times, it has absolutely kicked my tail. Um, And I have been exhausted within just a couple minutes of the workout. I tell you that because this is a topic, as we jump into it, that on first thought, you might say, well, that's really not a big deal. I don't always make it a big deal about that being challenging and pushed. But as we get going into it, as we really look at what God's Word is teaching us about this, I would guess it'll be like that workout, that it could get you earlier than you think it might get you and push and challenge you. We're talking really about the fourth commandment. We're talking about this issue of staff. We're talking about our schedule and what it looks like sometimes when we get overloaded in certain areas and we forget about other areas that we're really designed to encounter and to work through really every single week. And, and so I'm going to do something a little bit different. Normally we work through a series. This series it was a series, it's really one sermon. It's three parts, but it's really one sermon. In fact, today, I want to just walk you through just a Biblical view of the Sabbath, and there really is no application. There's no practical component to this, this morning. In fact, I was looking back for the last three years that I've been here, and I can't think of one time where I have shared a message where there's not been a practical application. In fact, that's how we promote the church, that it's relevant teaching for practical life. Um, but this morning, I'm going to just walk through the first part and just share with you a little bit about the Sabbath. Why? Because as I look at this, I would guess that there is probably nothing that we look at, especially in the Ten Commandments, that we would probably struggle with or have just written out altogether than this issue of the Sabbath. You see, every once in a while, I'll, I'll share on a topic, I'll teach on a certain thing, and I know it might step on a few toes out there. You know, it might hit you. I might talk about uh, living together, boyfriend and girlfriend, and, and I know that steps on a, a, a few toes of, of some people that might be in that camp. Or we might talk about anger issue, and it kind of steps on the toes of, of some of you that are dealing with that anger, and maybe even denying you have it. But as I looked at this, and I started preparing and working this week, I thought, Whose toes, mine included, would not be stepped on when we start to talk about the step? It's really a challenging, challenging thing when we get in God's word and we really start to look at it. Here's the equivalent that I put in my head this week: uh, it's 55 or 65 or maybe if you're in Texas, 105. I don't know the speed limit right out on the freeway. Uh, but we pretty much function in life like that's just a suggestion and, and you know a guideline. It's not the absolute right. We get out there and we move along the way we feel like we, we need to move along. So Christian or not a Christian, it doesn't that's feeling is really not this defining factor in our life every time we go out on the freeway, right? But there's some other things that are. A stop sign is a pretty strong defining factor. A stop light is a pretty solid factor, right? We don't roll through red lights because we understand the the difficulty that could happen. The Sabbath is somewhat like that. You see, there's things in our Christian lives where they are absolutes. We're going to obey that. We're going to follow that because God put it in place that there's a better way to live. But we kind of roll through the speed limit of Sabbath pretty regularly without even thinking about what is it? Why was it put in there? And what good is it for me? So this this message this morning, if you allow me, I'm going to follow close to a script. Every once in a while, I script it out almost word for word because I really feel like I want to share with you the way that the Lord was sharing it with me. So that's what we're going to do this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to look at two passages. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 2 at the beginning, and then we're going to look over at Exodus chapter 17. That's really the two passages that will look like. In fact, if you got it here, you got your sermon notes on your way, in, you'll recognize that it really only has two passages and then a section that you can keep some extra notes. No fill-ins this morning, no, you know, few little anecdotes or anything like that. Uh, Just some scripture and some open space for you. So if you got in here and you did not get that, just slip up your hand and Richard would be glad to to spread it to you. Uh, In fact, I think he times himself sometimes (laughs) how quick he can do this happen. So just uh, stick up your hand and and Richard will uh, get you a copy if you you don't have one you got in here without one. So so here's what we're doing. In 24-6, this three-week series, we're really looking at the intent behind the law. The intent behind the commandment. And what really is the objective of the fourth commandment in God's Word? And the question is, can we learn something from reading about its origin? How did it come into being in God's Word? And then how did it really develop? Because there is a progression of the Sabbath and the law of the Sabbath as we see it in God's Word. And now, we don't have to go very far in our Bibles to learn about the Sabbath. It is right there on the very first page Here's what it says, Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. If you have your Bible, it's not it's on the screen. It says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God finished the work He had been doing. So on the seventh day, He rested from all His work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, He rested from all the work of creating that He had done. So in the beginning of this great story ever told, right, we find that this inventor of everything uh, the one who created all that we know he stopped and he enjoyed his creations. that's what he did and the interesting thing here is that i found that it's not so much this explanation of the how we like to ask the how question all the time but it's an explanation of the who it tells us something about god you see that who of course it is god there and so this who spoke Really the light and the shining, he said it and it was done. You know, this who who got the earth spinning and got everything <coughs> working the way it's supposed to, and this this who he got the creatures in the right place and the crawling things in the right place, uh, hopefully not in my house, but this guy stopped and he enjoyed what he created. Well, how did he create it? It's not really the point here. Now I know for some of you that's where you get hung up, and that's where you like to talk. But for the sake of the series, that's not really the point. The how. I mean, imagine this—this infinite God, right—who designed this this incredible creation for these six days. The seventh day, He Himself rests. He stops. Then you might say, well, Tom, was it like a literal seven days? Like 24-hour cycle for seven days? Or was it like periods of time over seven days? Does the Bible say a day is like a thousand years? Not the point. Not really the point. It's not what we're after in this. We really don't know for sure all the details. There's very intelligent people that like to argue on both sides of that that hold the Bible as, as, as true and accurate. The point is that something about the character of God Something about who God is is revealed on the seventh day. God stopped. And he stopped. This infinite creator, this, this omnipotent person, and God stopped. Stopping is a problem for us. Is that a problem for you? It, mm-hmm. it certainly is a problem for me. Stopping. I mean, we get a comfortable house and, and what do we do? We want to work really hard to get a house, right? right? A more comfortable house. You'll be eat pretty good meals. And we want to work really hard so that we can eat better meals or eat those meals all the time. And we just go and we go and go. It's very hard to stop. And God, when we look at this, I don't think He needs to rest after creating all that He created because He's tired. It wouldn't seem to be in His character. I think He rests because He's holy. And He's wanting to teach us something about holiness. Everything God does is holy. God is holy. And therefore, we learn here at the very beginning of God's Word that rest is holy as well. It's simple math, putting those things together there. And so rest shows us really who God is. It tells us that God has restraint. And restraint is is refraining from doing everything that one has the power to do. Let me say that again. Restraint is refraining from doing everything that one has the power to. To do Now, I don't know about you, but when I look at my schedule, restraint is not a word that, that defines the schedule often, because I'm trying to get in everything I could possibly get in. Can you do this? Yeah, yeah, I can do that. And I put it all in there. God restraints here, and He takes a rest. Now, we can't make the mistake that God's restraint is about God's weakness, that God needs to, to rest, or He's exhausted, or He's just tired of the work. No, it's not because of his weakness. The opposite is really true. That God shows restraint, therefore restraint is holy. Have you ever thought about it that way? In fact, I had a pastor one time who, when he was talking about needing to spend some time with his family and the church being so demanding, he said it this way. He said, sometimes I have to stand before the church, and the holiest thing I can do is to tell the church, I can't do that. I need to go deal with my family. It's a way of saying I need to restrain from doing more in the ministry and never have enough hours to get it all done because I need to be with my family. Restraint is holy, is what God is teaching us. Now, here's what I need you to do before
1: we go on I
0: need you to just give an honest evaluation of your schedule. An honest evaluation. Now, you don't have to stand up and share this with us this morning because I'm get defensive. You just do it in your own head where you can be perfectly open and honest. An honest evaluation of your own schedule, and ask yourself right now how much restraint is in there, or does restraint only come when you're so incredibly exhausted and stressed and don't know what to do that you can't do anything other than take a little break or breathe it or arc in away? You start to evaluate. We're going to continue on. We'll pick it up at the end. So after this introduction, this introduction right in the book of Genesis that we just read. This thing of Sabbath doesn't show up again in God's Word until Exodus chapter 16. I mean, not one word of this is mentioned in the begats, you know that section that you always skip over when you read the Old Testament? Um, not one word is mentioned of Sabbath during that time, from Eve all the way up. The, the flood comes in the destruction of the world that Noah had saved, nothing about the Sabbath Enters into them. God scatters his people at the Tower of Babylon. No mention of Sabbath. Abraham and Isaac. Remember, they, they go up there and, and God saves today at the very end with uh, providing the lamb, and then uh, you know then they have this this incredibly awkward ride home. Uh, but no mention of Sabbath. Nothing about Sabbath here is going on. Shabbat, as it's actually called. Joseph goes from riches to rags, and then to riches in and, and power and authority. No mention of Sabbath in there at all. 400 years pass between Genesis and Exodus. 400 years passes there, and not even a peep about anything, including the Sabbath, during this time. So at the very beginning of creation, God's design, what He does, He models, He's the example of work six days, rest, work create, rest, and then no mention when Exodus opens up, it's been four centuries that's passed with really, not just no mention of but no sign from God. The Hebrew people, they are have gone from like the guests, these honored visitors welcomed by Joseph into Egypt and now they are slaves in Egypt and they're building for the Pharaoh. That's their job now. And so when they complain their jobs get harder, really the meaning of their life after 400 years has just become bricks, 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 bricks. bricks. And this happens 10 days a week. That's not a joke. It actually was 10 days a week. You see, the Egyptian year is divided up in three seasons of three weeks, and those are 10-day weeks. So it is just work, 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 and work. And then God births a hero. Uh, Moses comes on the picture. God hears the cries of his people, and then this battle for the Hebrews is on with the Pharaoh, and of course, God wins that battle. And we find that this is really the most pivotal time in the history. When we look back and we read God's word, it is when God takes his people out of slavery and brings them into freedom and takes them towards the promised land. In fact, when we look at that, it's so prominent, that it's so important, that story, that if you're sitting here today and that you are in any slavery in your life, any slave to your sins, slave to addiction, that this story would even apply to you, that when you cry out to God, that God wants to come in and to give you freedom, to give you release from whatever you are imprisoned in. That's the story of what happened here in Egypt. Now, when I'm going to share something with my kids... Uh, sometimes like, we'll go on a little drive and we'll talk for a little bit, or we'll go to a restaurant and we'll eat, maybe talk about something important, or you know, talk over a Bible passage, or maybe there's just something going on that I want to kind of challenge them to change or something like that. You yeah, know, we go for a, a drive or a wheel, something like that. It's a, an eight-hour drive from Cairo to Jerusalem. It's an eight-hour drive, right? Um, by, by donkey, you can do it in about a week, and by foot, you can do it in about a month. But during this time, on this occasion of freeing his people, God takes a slight detour, mainly because of the people's disobedience. But he takes them on a 14,600-day ride through the countryside, from Cairo to Jerusalem. That's a pretty long trip that God is taking them on. Now, I don't know about you, but I think dinner always tastes a little better after missing lunch. You miss your lunch and you're really hungry, or sleep time feels a little bit more wonderful if you put in a really hard day of work and you love to lay down in your bed, uh, what better time than here for God to educate his people about rest than after 20 generations of work, 20 generations of slavery and working, working, working hard. What better way to teach dependents than to take them out in an area where there's no food and no water. They'll have to provide all of it. That's the journey he's got him on. What better time to learn about this one true God, that there's only one true God after living in a culture for so long that has many gods as you can name. And if you wanted to create a new one, just fire it up in the kiln And you have a new God that afternoon. For 40 years, we find here that God feeds them every meal. He shades them during the day. He guides them like you know, he's their GPS uh, system here. And a few months into this trip, the people go and they make camp at the base of Mount Sinai. And as they're there, Mount Moses climbs up this mountain and we to learn about this famous conversation he has with God in the Old Testament. And during this, during this whole journey, God gives the Hebrews a total of 613 laws. You know, that's, it sounds like a lot, but if you were to right down every rule you have in your home, you know, for yourself and your kids and stuff, you have a pretty good list. 613 is probably not as long as you might think. But here at Mount Sinai, God personally writes kind of the top ten list that He gives to Moses here. If the Ten Commandments were written on like a, a chocolate cream pie, do you like that? Chocolate <laughs> cream pie? Your favorite pie, alright? Just substituted it. And you can only get like one slice to choose and they were cut the sizes of the commandments, uh, you would want to go with the fourth piece, the pie, the fourth commandment piece. Because it is so large, you have a third of the pie. That's how large this commandment and what it encompasses. So here, I want to take the time to read you this in Exodus chapter twenty to read you this uh, this passage. It says this: And God spoke all these words: I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth, because beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them, or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not uphold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Honor your father and mother, so that you may live long on the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his donkey or oxen, or excuse me, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So, the first three commandments, as you read them, are really about our relationship with God. And then after that we find these last six are about our dealings with each other and how we interact with each other. We don't steal from or we don't kill God. But we can do these things to one another and that's what those last six are about. But this fourth commandment, as we just read, it's the longest, right? It's the most inclusive of all the others. It's placement, I really don't think it's by accident, The first three commandments are about God, the last six are about humanity, and it's this one on the Sabbath, this fourth one, that kind of bridges the gap between the first section and the second section. The Sabbath commandment, check it out, it embraces the wealthy, the slave, the illegal immigrant. It pertains to low-wage workers, to students, to animals, to children. This fourth commandment applies equally to men and to women. It's meant to protect those who believe and those who don't believe It's followed by humanity, yet in the passage it tells us it's observed by God as well. It's this inclusiveness in this. So what we find here in, in the Sabbath is that when God comes and he rescues his people from slavery, they don't have culture anymore. They were slaves in Egypt. Now they're in the wilderness wandering around, and God decides to put this culture into his people. And one of the key components of the culture he puts into his people is this, this issue of the Sabbath and of rest. He says in Exodus 31.14, You must keep the Sabbath day, for it is a holy day for you. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death, that's strong. Anyone who works on that day will be cut off from the community. Now, these are powerful words that God has given to his people who just came out of a culture of working all the time. In fact, we find that the Sabbath is really like a marriage commitment between God and his people. It would be like uh, one of the spouses taking off the wedding ring and kind of throwing it into the face of others when all of us are here to see it happen. That's kind of what he's saying in this verse about breaking the Sabbath, how significant it is in, in the Old Testament when he introduces this as well. So remember, they had labored. For the Pharaoh, and they were cursing the Pharaoh's name. But now they were called into rest. They were called into rest, and they were called into with this holy God who is loving them and providing for them, who comes with this sacred name. Now, here's the issue. It seems like it would be really easy by right? I mean, really easy by to work on this ten-day work week. To slave away. Every time you complain, it got harder and harder. Um, I mean, they would sometimes see you know, their, their fellow people drop dead from the work. You would think it would be incredibly easy once they got out for God to say, Look, I want you to rest every week. I want you to take time every week to recoup. You would think that would be incredibly easy to buy into. But we find in the Old Testament that that doesn't quite happen. We find that this is one, of the things they, they even pushed. Back against. I guess when something is so ingrained in you, it's hard not to want to do it. Does that sound familiar to us as well? When we get into the pattern, it feels like we need to keep going and keep going and keep going. And we find that the with the uh, Israelites at this time, the same type of thing happened. You see, think about those commandments that were just given. A lot of those commandments The Egyptians would have obeyed obeyed those as well. You know, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't don't lie. They would have had that in their culture as well. But then when God put some things like, don't envy, don't covet, uh, these are a little bit harder. And then this issue of Sabbath, take one day and don't make any breaks. That's very confusing to the Israelites. You see, if God came in right now, if he could convince us that we were a slave to our schedule, Right? And he would say, and to alleviate that, I would like today to tell you, you can take a day off, you don't have to do anything all day on that. How easy would it be to go out and to follow those, those encouraging words from the Lord? You'd think that would be easy, but I guess it would be pretty hard for us in actuality, and that's what they were doing as well. So what happens? We continue on in the Old Testament, right? Uh, and this is what happens. You see, there became a question mark of, well, what really does work mean? What does it mean to actually work? Now, if I go to my job and I punch in and I punch out, well, that seems to be work. But what if I, uh, you know, need to change my tire? And then that tire going go with me. What if I just have to do something like that? Is that, is that really, is that okay? You know? Um, is that work? And so the question mark began over the years, what really is work? And so what happens if you're not quite sure... If something is actually something, well, you need to create some guidelines, right, and create some rules. And so, what the rabbis would start to do is they would start to add the laws to this. And so, the sabbatical laws were really, uh, when we talk about the adding of laws, many and many of them were about the Sabbath, and they were letting you know what is work and what is not work. You know, if something happened to your your animal that day, what could you do for your animal, and what could you not do for your animal? You know, if you shift the tooth, can you do something about that, or you just gotta live? Do you know there were actually laws that it was actually written in by a rabbi uh, that you couldn't have a bow on the Sabbath because that was working. serious. I'm not making this 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 up. I mean, that's how it went here, and so. As this developed, you could see over hundreds of years, you could see the number of things that were added to the law. Well, what does adding of those laws and those rules eventually do? It makes the law a curse. It makes the whole intent of the Sabbath feel like, man, what, is this? this is just a list of rules that we have to follow? There's no joy, there's no life in it. And when we look back at the very beginning, this is what I picture I picture God out playing with His with preach, creating this and throwing this out here and shaking this into this. I can see like these smiles popping on his face and you know, as he's creating things, he goes, ah, that's right, plays with there it and that's And stepping away and I can see, almost like when you see a little kid creating or playing in the dirt and those type of thing, that's how I picture God. It may not be like that, that's how I picture it. And then on a the sudden, day, he steps back and just enjoys just enjoys. I mean, I've seen it with my kids when they, like, make their Legos or the car sets and stuff, like, when they work all and build build and they step, step back and they kind of just look at what they've created. It may not take a whole day, but it's the same concept of stepping back and looking and seeing. That's what I picture God doing. There's nothing like that when all these rules and laws are added onto it to make it almost another form of slavery to have to follow the Sabbath. And so that's what had developed in the Old Testament, and that's what we get to. And so instead of there being great freedom in the Sabbath, you see, when God created it, He created it to protect His workers. But now it was not something that was seen as protection. It was something that was seen as burdensome to have to keep that Sabbath. Only so many uh, amount of steps you were allowed to take on the Sabbath come up to about Jesus' time. When Jesus, over, over those years... You can only take so many steps on the Sabbath, and then you were working. If you took one more step, and listen, when you were working, it wasn't like in their culture at the time they would just go, "Ah, my bad, I am mean, doing do okay. I won't do that again." You were cursed. You were made, you were even called unclean if you broke the Sabbath. I mean, these are serious, serious things, and so nobody wanted to break them. But it was such a burden to carry. Them down. What was God's intent? Jesus, when he comes into the scene, what he's saying is, my intent, what my father created in the Sabbath, my intent was to give you a day of incredible freedom, an incredible blessing, a day of rest, a day to community, connect with God. That was my design. And that's why Jesus butted head with the religious figures when he talked about the Sabbath. But don't make any mistake here. It wasn't that Jesus was saying, look, uh, this Sabbath thing is all done. The old covenant's passed, the new covenant's here, you don't have to obey the Sabbath ever again. That's not what Jesus is saying. Look at the passages. He's really just saying, look, that was not my father's intent. That you would have to live a day in burdensome slavery over all of these little laws that are attached to God's original commandment that was intended to, connect, or to protect you. So we look at today and I, I wonder what are the what are the things that have caused us to be to be so busy? It, it, historians that write about the 1950s, they kind of generally agree that the 1950s, at least in American culture, were the happiest years uh, ever for our country. That the satisfaction rate, the happiness rate, I don't know how to mention these things, but uh, but that's you know, I don't the most smiles on people's faces, maybe that's not the measure. I don't know. But they generally say the 1950s was the happiest time in our American culture. It's interesting that in that time, um, the Sabbath was almost universally followed in our country. A very rare, and I called my dad and actually asked him about this this week, and he told me from his childhood remembering that you really couldn't go anywhere and, and find something open very, very few places. My dad was telling me he remembered his grandfather said we had to make sure we get gas on Saturday because you're probably not going to be able to get gas on Sunday in too many places. And so it was a day where everyone just kind of rested. Now certainly they had just come off the Second World War and there was a lot of reason to be happy in the country as it was. But I wondered if just the idea that the whole nation pretty much was taking a rest once a week and getting refreshed and getting the batteries charged before they launched out into work. I wonder if that's an oversight today that we, we think about how significant that is. Here's some of the factors that uh, have contributed to this change and the Sabbath kind of going away. Uh, electricity, computers, global, globalization, secularization, jet travel, uh, all of these have come together and they have made us busy and more active and more mobile throughout our week. Expectations of students, sports, consumerism, all of this is elevated. In fact, we find today that the, the number of people that are more likely to not take a Sabbath first 30 years ago fall into really one key category. You want to know what that category is? Or who that category is? Christians. Believers. That it's, it's really the church that has moved away from the idea of the status, Not necessarily the nation, or at least the nation, not as fast as the church has moved away. The increasing number of households with two working parents or single parents, um, they've created this kind of demand for extended hours in retail and business as well. All of this has come together, and it's a complex issue, which means there's not always a complex solution So let's take it back a second. If God was talking to us this morning and God said to us, look, my original design was to protect you. My original design was that you would just go as hard as you can, hard as you need to go for six days, and then just sit back and rest, so that you're ready to go for the next six. My intent was to give you something that would be holy once a week that you could feel this holy, that you could commune with me as your God in a different way than you probably did those other six days. If God were to come to us and just speak to us. And then we will reput that image I asked you earlier about what our schedule looked like over week. Is there any opportunity for that in your life this week? Again, it's not our intent to, to next go too practical. We're going to talk about that down the road. Um, but here's an interesting thing is the business of this, this, the church world, they, it really often involves laws or things that we think God is calling us to that um, they, they really apply to anyone who's willing to submit to the Lord. But we, we say that they like, don't worship idols, don't take Lord's name and remember the Sabbath, honor your brethren and father, and these are key things. But much like this feeling, we struggle sometimes when it comes to the issue of the Sabbath. So this week I'm reading. Uh, I did a little Google on, on just a, the push to keep the Ten Commandments up in courthouses and school uh, buildings and things like that. And almost exclusively, these, this push is from Christian organizations. In fact, I um, won't we'll say any in fact, when I looked at it, um, because it automatically pops up on Facebook, I saw many of your names actually liking some of those pages uh, on that, uh, keeping the Ten Commandments. Uh, in certain places and that type of thing. <coughs> Yet, the Sabbath one we tend to struggle with as believers. Or if we don't struggle with the idea of the Sabbath, we have rewritten what we think about what saying Sabbath really is. It would be really <clears throat> bizarre for me as a pastor to stand up and give a sermon proposing that we ditch the Ten Commandments, right? Um, you wouldn't buy into it. Um, you probably wouldn't be back. The next week. Um, but yet, like the Israelites in the wilderness, pushing back against something that God has given for their protection and really for their joy, we often have done that in our lives as well when it comes to this issue of the fourth commandment. So there's a little theology behind that. Now, here's the question, and we're going to talk about this next week what is the theology of the fourth commandment as really it applies today what does it look like for us today because unlike the rabbis i really have no desire to sit here as a religious leader and to create a long list of things that you can or can't do and then hand it to you and then you go try to obey it i think we just just feel like the israelites are like like the jewish people when jesus came on the scene they were so fed up with law if we're going to talk about next week then what really does the theology look like for us today? It's a little fuzzy I think for us to wrap our head around but I think a good working of God's word especially as Jesus teaches this and Paul talks about it I think we'll come to that next week. So we'll continue part two as we look more at this next week then week three we're just going to practically talk about exactly what we do about it as a church as individual Christians and is there any benefit in our lives to even reworking for some of us, maybe dramatically, what it looks like to honor the Sabbath. We'll do that in two weeks. Let me pray for you on this. Father, thank you uh, this morning for your word and for sometimes even hard passages that, that uh, will push us. And Lord, as we look more and more we start to ask the question about what does the Sabbath mean to me now as a believer, and what should I do about it, Lord, I believe that you, you got a challenge for us and that you're gonna you're gonna push us uh, in a way that that, Lord, uh, it could be tough. So, Lord, I pray that it's in your word that we would stay. And so, it's clearly your voice speaking to us and teaching us in this area. Now, to be with us the rest of this day. May we enjoy this Sabbath as we have sun and warmth today. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Well, uh, now's the time. If you've got your card, uh, if you want to fill that out, you got a couple minutes. So go ahead and fill that out.